1: Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher. Today, we are going to hear wisdom from someone that knew what he wanted and used what he got to go after it. For today's guest, adventure was not only the goal, it was ultimately a side effect of a larger series of decisions. I have with me Ed Daniels, a retired science teacher from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, Back around the year 2000, Ed and his wife, Nancy, put several life pieces together to create a new life for themselves by forcing retirement on themselves, using what they had to make it happen, and then going on to experience 12 magical years of adventure in nature. There's so many lessons in what we're going to hear today, and I am personally ready to just soak up the conversation. Ed has been a lifelong fan of the active lifestyle. He enjoys running, hiking, biking, and sports. And in retirement, he's found himself doing more of what he loves, which includes playing guitar, photography, and writing. I'm so excited to have him with us today to share his story and hopefully give the rest of us some ideas that will intentionally help us serve our own futures. Ed, welcome to the campfire. Hi, Scott. Good to be with you. Oh, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited. There's uh, there's there's just so much wisdom in in, in <laughs> what I've learned from you so far. Um, I think I should probably start by just sharing that uh, that you and I were introduced through your son, Ed Daniels the Third, um, because many of my listeners know your son. And so when they see that we're doing an interview with Ed Daniels. They might be confused, so we're just going to, we'll clear we'll that up. So, so today we're going to learn uh, the wisdom. The craft.
0: I, I am the Ed Daniels that is the picture of Dorian Gray. <laughs> there
1: you go. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, awesome. Well, if you could just start by kind of just giving us a background of, of who you are, where you are, and then we'll jump into this, you know, this kind of life story and 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 how you made this transition.
0: Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know just just a regular guy i really blush at the uh at the notion that i am going to share wisdom with you <laughs> we all but, have a story um, yeah you know science teacher for uh, 33 years um loved it it was a fantastic career for me the perfect choice uh i was learning my entire life uh the last classes that i took i was 50 um you know always always changing uh, stride uh when it comes to the science education part of it um you know in my career every, every five years i'd get a little bored with something and i'd uh, ask my administrators if i could start a new course and they were always willing to let me go and have my lead so i taught things like um oceanography biotechnology astronomy um biology. My favorite was evolutionary bio or evolution biology. Nice. That was a particular interest for me chemistry. Uh, it was it was a very interesting career. And uh, life wise, uh, family has always been very important. I came from a large family, eight children. And we had three ourselves, Nancy and I, uh, we have 10 grandchildren now. Wow. And they are a big part of our lives now as we settle in for the latter part of our our uh, experience and exploration in life.
1: Yeah. And uh, and you're really enjoying it to the fullest that we just are coming off a Thanksgiving holiday here. And uh, you had I think you had pretty much the whole family there with you.
0: Yes, we did. We did. And a few friends as well.
1: Yeah. So so this story is is so cool. You've had you had this this great career as a science teacher, um, but ultimately a point came in your life where you put several puzzle pieces together. And and the way that I saw this when you explained it to me was you sort of forced retirement on yourself. And the way that you did it was super unique. Um, The way you brought a couple of different pieces together. Um, One of those pieces involves real estate, which is, of course, uh, my day job. So that's always very intriguing to me of how you brought that into this overall goal. So for the listeners, can you just kind of talk to us about this, this major life decision that you made and how you brought multiple elements together to turn this thing into reality?
0: Well, if if there's anything that you learned by being a teacher is that you better have a plan and you better have a backup plan. Nice. And that's exactly what happened in the retirement planning. I mean, we started looking at retirement, talking about retirement in our forties, uh, The vision was that we wanted to retire early, perhaps when I was about 60 years old, which would have maximized my retirement. Um, Teachers don't make a a boatload of money, um, but we scraped and scratched and uh, made some real estate investments, actually, uh, that paid off for us nicely. And uh, I worked every summer, if uh, not uh, painting houses, I was doing projects, major renovations around our own home you know, save a little bit of money. So anyway, the pieces were coming together financially and we knew how much we needed to live with. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there was a number there. Um, So we started putting it all together and said, yeah, all right, we need a certain percentage of my retirement income. Eventually, Social Security kicks in. So financials were a big part of the decision. Yep. Um, And then the state of Massachusetts in his eternal wisdom decided that they were going to tried to retire some of the old higher paid teachers and gave us an extra five years of longevity in the retirement system. Bingo, <laughs> can't turn that down. So, um, you know, we looked at what we needed, we looked at what we had, we looked at what, how short we were <laughs> and uh, decided that, you know, sell our, our first home, uh, move down the Cape into our vacation home, and rent it in the summer while as we traveled and that we would use that income from the rental to yeah. pay for our trip and supplement uh, our income until social security kicked in and uh and we'd be fine so we figured we had to do that for five years yeah nancy had just finished our banking career um she, her bank had just been bought out by a, a larger bank and she was going to have to have a a change in her job, mm-hmm. so uh, it looked like uh, the timing was good, and we decided the day after checking with the financial planner. Okay, everything's lining up. We can do this, uh, and I think that you know the primary element in all of this is that we had not just anticipation, um, but we had a goal. And we were very careful in in making those plans that we'd be able to reach that goal, anticipating there would be some uh, some hindrances.
1: Yeah. So the thing that I really love about this, obviously bringing the real estate piece into this, was that as you as you kind of looked at this whole plan, um, you wanted to retire. The numbers weren't entirely there, but you had this home in a vacation community. And I think what you shared with me was that if we rent our house out over the summer, which is the busy season in in the Cape Cod area, Mm -hmm. we can make enough money there to be able to complete this whole picture.
0: Exactly right.
1: If we rent our house out for the summer, we can retire. Now, that leaves a big question mark. (laughs) (laughs) What do we do when we're renting out our house? Because this is where we live.
0: Yeah.
1: So... Let's go there what happens
0: yeah you know I mean all my life I've been studying interesting places uh from my you know classroom position uh and it was time for me to see that now we we'd always been interested in uh, traveling and going places and uh, we tried out a little camping uh, back in 1985 when the kids were just growing up and it was a great experience uh again not everything went smoothly uh interpersonal conflicts do occur uh with any group of people that are forced together for a long period of time but the you know the kids absolutely considered it to be a life-changing experience for them as well as myself i wanted more of it just had to have more of it and i found a great deal of solace in the wildness of nature yeah. Uh, room for thought, a place to empty your head and let new ideas in. Um, you know, I had hobbies. My wife and I raised raised a family. We were both working um, and frankly, we weren't spending a huge amount of time together for each other through most of our living and working lives. And uh, this was looked like an opportunity for us to uh, to get back together and focus on each other um maybe it's force focused but that's okay
1: i love it so 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 you guys are planners so okay this first year like we're going to rent our house out where are we going to do where are we going to go where are we going to sleep
0: yeah <laughs> exactly right uh, there was a long list um neither one of us particularly like uh warm weather so we weren't headed south okay although we did travel south at different times but mostly our focus was north we wanted to see more of canada uh nova scotia uh we loved the area around acadia national park
1: yeah it's beautiful
0: yeah it uh it just had so much to offer um so yeah we uh bought a tent camper that was a, that was a uh a, a compromise between tent camping which i would have gone for and hotel camping which nancy would have gone for <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't averse to that idea at all. The idea of being in my fifties and sleeping on the ground was not very appealing. (laughs) So, so, uh, having a bed off of the ground a place Mm -hmm. to have a cooler with a few beers in it, uh, sounded very attractive.
1: (laughs) I love it. So you bought a temp, a tent camper, and this is one like a trailer basically that you're pulling behind you. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So it was quite a rig when we started out, we had a, uh, uh, a GMC pickup truck with just one seat you know the front seat yep um and uh we had the, this Coleman used Coleman camper and uh we shoved all our stuff in the back of the truck we thought we were going to put the dog in the back of the truck but that, he didn't like that idea so the dog rode cross-country with us for years under Nancy's legs nice <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, we had to to shake down crews, make sure everything was working. And, of course, uh, we had a plan for things not working. You know, we carried a toolbox and uh, we set out on to see what would happen.
1: Yeah. So so the original plan was to do this for five years. Is that right?
0: Yes, it was. Yeah. Five years we figured we had to commit to. And that's, I think, where you came in with the idea of this being a forced retirement. (laughs) A forced retirement project. (laughs) <laughs> and I guess it was, but uh, it, it was something that we both wanted to do. And I was a little surprised that it took so little prodding to get Nancy to come along with that. Um, but she was very willing. Um, in fact, the, the rest of my family uh, obviously had some conversations about our plans and decided that the over under for Nancy lasting in this whole thing was about two weeks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she proved them wrong, huh?
0: And as it turned out, After 13 years, I was the one that pulled the plug on the project.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) She loved it. Hey, everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients if you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home our team serves the charlotte north carolina market but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the us or canada through our highly connected network when you support our real estate business you are also supporting this podcast thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals So in the, in the early days, like, do you guys remember sort of like the moment that you decided, all right, we're doing this?
0: It kind of crept up, Scott. It was yeah. uh, kind of always in the back of my mind, I suppose. Uh, that, that was one of the things I wanted to do in retirement, not necessarily this all in 75 days of summer thing. But um, yeah, it kind of crept in and I'd run the idea past Nancy and we'd consider alternatives and this one just stuck so
1: well you know there's uh the the old the as a teacher you probably remember this the the old story of the conquistador and i'm gonna butcher his name but hernan cortez in 1519 he was invading the aztec empire and as the story goes he was he had 300 men with him and uh as they approached the coastline he burned 10 of his 11 ships so that the men had no choice but to go inland and uh i'm reminded of that story because i'm sure you you signed a lease or you did something to say okay we're you know we're let some somebody else is moving into our house that we're essentially burning the ships and we're doing this like do you guys remember that moment and do you remember having any sort of fears or doubts like what did we do i you know i don't
0: remember there being much in the way of fear and doubt it was anticipation that overwhelmed the whole idea uh we were ready to go and the amazing thing Scott was that um adventure wasn't necessarily a huge part of this yeah uh, you know it was um, so much of it is interpersonal Nancy and I met each other when we were teenagers mm-hmm. I was 17 she was 15. and we had not spent as much time together at any time in those uh, nearly 50 years before we started doing this camping thing. And it was wonderful. It was just wonderful. Nancy loved it, I loved it. You know, we'd play cards, we'd talk, we'd share the experiences we had during the day. I think it helped that we had different interests on these trips. Uh, so that we spend much much of the day apart and then we would get together in the evening for a meal and uh talk about what happened
1: can you can you go a little dive a little bit deeper into that you said each of you guys had your own interests so so mm-hmm. what were what were kind of your interests what were her interests how how did you guys do that
0: one of the things we carried along with us was uh, a canoe and later a kayak uh i had we had bicycles we had a tandem bicycle starting out with and ended up with uh, a couple other bicycles uh fishing gear for me hiking gear gps that kind of stuff the thing you need to to wander around in the woods yeah and Nancy was into genealogy and it's a very time-consuming project and she was collecting a great deal of material and needed time to organize it so these trips were uh, partly designed to give her the time to do that sort of thing she would go to libraries connect to the internet and uh, do some research and in the evening, she'd come back and let me know if she found any dead relatives.
1: Nice. <laughs> that's very cool.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, I would share my photos and uh, tell her about my hikes and how buddy or Monty and I uh, made out. It was, uh, my hiking companions were canine. Yeah. And uh, that's how it went for 75 days a year. Of course, obviously, there's the travel in between. And that was always fun, too.
1: So so this went on. So the original plan was to do this for five years, but obviously it went on for 12 or I think you even said 13. Yeah. Um, so so what happened kind of at year five and and how did how did you end up doing this for 13 years?
0: Just loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, the better question, I think, is why would we stop? And uh, and and that's kind of uh, it was a realization for us too, you know. When we were in our mid fifties, we were both healthy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, no problems getting around. Uh, I was always involved in sports in some way, shape, or form, and uh, you know, so in decent enough shape to do to do some hiking all day, for example, or paddling, or biking. Eventually, what happened was that we started to break down with age, uh, and. know we knew that the end was was coming it was getting harder and harder to leave the house what used to take us three or four days to prepare the house for rentals was now taking us three weeks and eventually you got to the point where nancy had stumbled on one of our trips and broken her foot
1: Mm. Uh,
0: so more of the uh, the tasks involved with the camping fell on me and i couldn't do it without her yeah it was really tough So that was pretty much what um, took us out of the game, so to speak. So the the point being here, and I think this is kind of an important one, is that we do have a limited time Uh, and it may not be time on this planet, but time to function in the way that we want to. And if you were given the option, let's say you're near death, a year away, how much would you pay to get an extra year? Mm. If it was offered to you mm. and the number is really high, but you can't buy back the time. Right. It's not about the money. It's right. not about the security. It's about taking advantage of the time that you have when you are ready to use it. Yeah,
1: Here's, here's that wisdom that we're talking about. Yeah. There, <laughs> there it is right there. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, um, that was I, perfect.
0: There was um for me personally, there were basically three events that had me looking so hard at the early retirement. One was my dad died at 55. Mm. Without a day of retirement. One of my good friends died at 58. A person that I worked with, uh, that was just a tremendous human being. Great guy. Planned very, very well for his, uh, his retirement. And of pancreatic cancer at 58 Mm. i sat um a few years before i retired i sat with another co-worker who i respected greatly an english teacher and as we sat in the auditorium listening to some administrator drawn on uh i asked her you know what she had planned for retirement and she said well we'll probably fix up the house and travel for a few years and then one or the other of us will get sick and we'll have to stay home for doctors. And my mouth dropped open. Yeah. I said, That's at 65. And you think about it, and that really is a pretty standard chronology. Yeah. What, what happens to people? And I said, Shoot, that's not nearly enough time for me.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've got to go a lot, a lot sooner than 65. So that's what the, my impetus was personally for the early retirement.
1: Yeah, I love it. And so you took action and, you know, 12, you've got some great stories. I, I, I would love to just touch on some of the stories, just like over the course of 12 years, um, you know, kind of broad brush where you went, what you did, um, and maybe some of your favorite, maybe some of your favorite highlights or memories that you've had.
0: Boy, there's a lot there.
1: Yes, I know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, w- once you invited me for the podcast, Scott, I decided to go back and take a look at some of my pictures and journals, uh, w- which uh, I wrote on on most of my trips. And uh, it was just a delight to go back and look over those things. We, we, we traveled, like I said, 75 days or so a summer and probably stayed in 20 different places over the course of that time. Uh, so there were there were a lot of locations, but there were a few that were of, of particular impact to me personally. Um, and we decided to go back to some of those. One of the things I decided to do was I and, intend to be not to be morbid, but I do intend to be cremated. Okay. I donated my I'm, oh by the way, I'm I'm going to Harvard Medical School when I die. Nice. Uh, donated my body. Nice, Okay. <laughs> I I will be cremated. And uh, a friend had this idea, so it's, I won't lay really claim to this myself personally, but uh, we've decided to create bags of Ed. I'm going to give people a bag of my ashes, and I want them to be delivered to different places that were of great significance to me personally, that inspired me, that made me think, that made me love nature even more <laughs> and uh, experience it for themselves. So it was going to be their gift to me to deliver the ashes and my gift to them to deliver them to these places. So we have our our places for the bags of it.
1: Well, first of and, all, I'm just getting chills listening to you. This like, yes, it's morbid, but at the same time, like there's a great joy in this.
0: It Oh, absolutely. Absolutely so one of the places is not a place we camped but did visit the scottish highlands surprisingly now we found out i found out late in life that i was scott okay and uh we visited the highlands and it it just strangely and oddly felt like home it was the oddest thing uh I took a particular hike in the uh cargorns national park okay in the highlands and, uh, just, just, it was just one of those in, in, in walking along and your feet squish into the moss and release some water as you're walking. And there were the sounds and the smells and the, the air. It was really unique. Uh, I met a, I met, I met a young man up there at the, at the peak. Uh, and we sat there and told stories for over an hour, sitting there in the, in the shadow, in the lee side of this huge carn that was up there. Uh, And he told me stories about Scotland and where he lived and what he did. It was it was just an amazing experience.
1: So real quick, you mentioned like you had this odd feeling that you were at home. I just wonder, can you like explain that a little bit deeper, Um, like what that feeling felt like?
0: Wow, this there was there was a quiet joy in it um it was a feeling that that didn't come from anything necessarily physical but seemed to rise up from the whole area the view the sound the smell um were all a little part of it but somehow there were were voices singing (laughs) i don't know it was that kind of thing like i know there was no sound being made but there was just something about it that uh it, it's uh, it's kind of otherworldly. It's literally, literally inspirational.
1: Yeah, and
0: that's what. It, and there were more than one place like that.
1: There's a word that I love talking, uh, bringing up on this podcast. It's the word awe, and the the dictionary definition is a reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. And I'm curious if that's a little bit of what you felt.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. fear and wonder. I, you know, that that's a that's a really odd mix, mix, Scott, but it is absolutely dead on. It seems that those places that you love the most have to be tainted with a little bit of fear, uh, and I would call it awe more than fear, but I don't know risk. Yeah, maybe there's something in that an element of risk that's involved that just heightens the senses to that to that kind of inspiration.
1: Yeah, I think there's a smallness that you feel when you're out in nature and you're just kind of exposed to the elements and the wild. And, you know, I think that's where it wells up in me a little bit. Yeah. So we went to the Scottish Highlands. What are a couple of other uh, other highlights? There's a a place in Maine, in
0: down east Maine, called Copscook Bay. Quietest place I have ever been in my life. A couple of trips out there love being out on the water. There's about a 20 foot tide out there. So you literally ride this river of water as it washes in and out of the bay. Um, and here's your element of awe and fear yeah. <laughs> when you're riding the tide and you know there's a waterfall, literally a waterfall at one end. Wow. <laughs> it does keep you keep your attention. <laughs> But you know, it was just it was just so fun. Uh, one of the things that that I noticed in that trip was first, it feels like cotton in your ears. But secondly, the sounds travel over the water from a mile away that sound like they're 10 feet away. Mm. I literally could hear the one inch long glass shrimp jumping out of the water. Wow. Yeah, it was it was just a great experience.
1: I love that that just you said that it was the quietest place you've ever been. And that just that struck me when you said that.
0: Yeah, there was um, I was out paddling around. The dog was sleeping in the canoe and uh, I'm just lazily paddling more, more to make uh, my body move than to actually get anywhere. And I hear this. And I thought. I know that sound. And I look behind me, and about 25 feet away is this big old horse head seal. And it kept creeping itself closer and closer, taking a look at me and the dog (laughs) paddling along in his his space. (laughs) And I'd never gotten so close to a seal in my life. Uh, Now I've seen plenty of seals, but somehow this one that seemed to be following us and inspecting us seemed to be enjoying the ride as much as I was,
1: you know, I and mean, I'd love that your dog was, was out there with you. Cause I somehow I find like that seals tend to be like the dogs of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Like they just have this sort of puppy playful energy and they're just sort of curious and they kind of come like, there's just something about a seal that reminds me of, of dogs as a companion.
0: Yeah. Yep. True enough.
1: Yeah. I love yeah. it. So you sent me a bunch of pictures, and we'll definitely put a bunch of them in the show notes. To, I, you know, I definitely noticed a whole bunch of pictures in. Um, look to be the Canadian Rockies. Yes. Um, yeah, and just some beautiful mountainscapes.
0: Yeah, so all-time favorites. Um, the Canadian Rockies are not to be missed. I don't care how you travel: train, bus, car, hike it, camp it you it's it's got to be on everybody's life list it's just the most stunning and inspirational place that uh, I have ever been uh bar none uh and in terms of what it's meant for me uh there was just some some of the most amazing hikes I mean many of these hikes were above the ice line so you'd be up there and uh you know ten thousand feet looking down onto the glaciers as you're hiking along past the sign that says trail ends here (laughs) and just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. No, no way to get lost. Mm, Yeah, there was a way a little (laughs) bit of fear (laughs) adds to the
1: moment. We did a trip out to the Canadian Rockies at one point. And one of the biggest things I remember, and this kind of goes to your love of photography. I found out there that, you know, no matter what I did, I couldn't take a picture that captured the essence of what you see when you're there in person. Yeah. I I wonder as a photographer, how you, how you experienced that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's more of a prod than it is a representation. It, it, it cues you into what the experience was like to see the place again. Uh, And it, I think they're absolutely necessary to do that. Uh, Interesting thing that I, that I discovered about uh, neuroscience is uh, in in the study of memory. Our memories are not solid, our brains are uh, very plastic, and our memories change and fade and are reshaped. Every time we think of a place, every time we think of a person or an event, we recreate the memory Mm. in a new form. And Pictures are a way of holding on to the original memory that a memory without that kind of substance uh, just doesn't have. So when I take the pictures, they're there really just to bring me back to a closer touch to the place than I had later on.
1: I love that so much. We had uh, a guest on the show many episodes ago, Mr. Bill Barty, and uh, and he told me that somebody once told him that an adventure is 80% anticipation, 20% recollection, and a dose of reality, and (laughs) And it's true. I mean, that, you know, the trip itself. Oh, you've been reading my,
0: my journals, have you? <laughs>
1: oh, oh, you, said, you said it too. You, maybe you were the one that said it to him. Um, but I think what you're talking about with the pictures is the recollection piece. Yes. Yeah. You know, exactly. trying, trying to capture yeah.
0: that. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about two of my, uh, my experiences in the Canadian Rockies. And there were, there were so many more, but two in particular, one was, um, I, was I was headed off on a hike from a, uh, what I think they call the tallest falls in the Canadian Rockies, the Tataka Falls. And uh it bordered on Yoho National Park in Canada. It's okay. part of that whole necklace of uh fantastic Canadian national parks, uh including Banff and Jasper and a few others. Anyway, Yoho uh started out in probably my favorite name for a river of, of all time, the Kicking Horse Pass, so the Kicking Horse River. thought that was awesome. So we start off from the Kicking Horse River, and I'm going over the Burgess Path to um, a lake, Emerald Lake. Now, Burgess is the home of Burgess Shale. And for an evolution biologist, this is holy ground.
1: Okay, This is where they
0: found some of the oldest fossils on the planet. Uh, So here I was going to climb over this uh, pass and uh, get down to this beautiful Alpine Lake. And Nancy was going to meet me, meet me there because the lake did have uh, road access. So uh, the pass contained uh, 55 or 50, 50, 58 switchbacks, pretty rugged climb.
1: That's a lot. (laughs)
0: Several thousand feet in elevation. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And at 58, uh, that was significant for me,
1: mm-hmm.
0: 58, 58 switchbacks at 58 years old. Yes. So with each switchback, I went back in time. Oh, wow. I marked each switchback with a year of my life and reflected on it. As I walked along, it was just miraculous. It was just so fun remembering the people, the places, and mostly the people, the stories, the events of my life, as I went up there uh to take a look at uh, some of this burgess shale now the element of awe and fear (laughs) i climb out onto a ledge that had exposed shale and i'm up there tapping away at the rock and breaking some of it open not really expecting to find anything it's been worked way more than i could ever uh, uh, do it so i'm up on this bridge and I, i decide I'm going to peek over the top of the ridge and there is Emerald Lake down below me, just mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. But um, I can't see the cliff below me. So I finally decide it's, uh, it's not the best place in the world to be. So I, I start climbing down and I look back at where I was and on top of this broken shale, I see that it is completely undercut about 10 feet under where I was Laying down, playing with the rocks. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> another, another hike that I took was, um, um, called the ice fields. Tra- no, yeah. The ice fields trail Okay. started out in the fog. Couldn't see a thing. Uh, just get onto the trail and start hiking up and up about 500, 600 feet of elevation. I start pushing through the clouds and there below me is a cloud bank through the breaks in the cloud bank i can see the falls and above me are these jagged mountains from the selkirk range in the canadian rockies just magical what a place virtually no one else around as far as the eye could see until we get to that point where i think you have a picture of it two hikers off in the off on the ridge uh to give the the image some perspective but uh another great experience of uh hiking in the Rockies and the feeling of isolation and and smallness yeah I just love the love the feeling of perspective that I get when I'm out in the wild it makes you feel small it makes you feel um I
1: don't know relevant somehow
0: uh, that you're spying like a fly on the wall, you're spying on the yeah. world.
1: And I think that's some of the the awe, right? It's that yeah. it's that feeling of smallness. Yeah. I like I can't help but think like I'm just kind of visualizing you out there, um, and I want to ask you like what happens to you when when you're out there? But I like what I'm getting from you is you're taking these physical adventures, and then you're bringing into it like an element of introspection, like this this whole idea of the 58. Switchbacks at age fifty-eight, and what you did while you were out there. I mean, that you must have known in advance that there was fifty-eight switchbacks. Like, okay, I'm going to do this
0: at the trailhead.
1: At the trailhead. So, but that I love, like, I love the bringing together of this, you know, the introspection with this physical adventure, and it's just sort of this, this sort of blending. Um, and I just, I wonder if you could just kind of talk about that, like, what you know, what what happens to you when you're out in nature.
0: Yeah, that's really an important important thing um we spend all of our working lives uh planning and and uh, anticipating and concentrating on getting things done getting things done well getting things done right and being out in the wild like on these hikes alone and i think it really helps to be alone is that you can let your mind be just wander become blank somehow and it becomes open to different thoughts um sometimes those those moments would be filled with an earworm and i'd be i'd have a song in my head as i'm marching along on the trail (laughs) and other times i i see something something on the ground a rock uh, an insect a leaf and it would just push my brain off in that direction for a few minutes and it would just float and flow and eventually you come through with um, with some really interesting thoughts and ideas that oh yeah this connects to that and this connects to that and and you start putting pieces together unintentionally that um, that create a painting as you hike
1: Mm, I love that create a painting as you hike Yeah. yeah yeah I love that you know um in some of the conversations that we had actually first conversation with your son and i well, all three of us were on a call we talked a little bit about just like um concepts of spirituality and some different like things that you've studied academically um including joseph campbell's hero's journey which we talk a lot about on on this podcast oh yeah um but you know it seemed to me that like at a spiritual level, I think you said that you feel sort of most connected with yourself, like out when you're out in nature.
0: Yeah. Uh, t- um, aren't we all taking a journey, right? I mean, uh, what was it? Whitman that said that, um, oh no, it wasn't Whitman, excuse me. It was Thoreau that said that uh, life is a stream. Uh, there's a There's a stream bed that doesn't change that's us. Um, But water is always changing. It's all about the journey of the water through the stream bed. And that's kind of what um, what it's like, uh, putting these pieces together. I think uh, studying science was a true blessing for me. Uh, it, It gave me the idea that that so much of our world is connected in ways that I think most most people don't have that gift. Yeah um you know from the molecular level how molecules interact with each other to uh, how evolution has come to uh, to create such a huge diversity of life you know everything from slime mold to human beings share so much so much we have so much in common it's crazy <laughs> uh, and to see how these things have all adapted another thing is the the whole idea that you know another idea that came in the way. The pinnacle of life, human beings, the pinnacle of life, God's greatest creation. I don't buy it. (laughs) You know, I look at the things around me and go, that bird can sit in that cold water all year long without a coat, without a (laughs) wetsuit. I can't stay out here for an hour. Yeah, <laughs> and it gains such respect for yeah. other living things and how they've interacted with the planet and their environment. Uh, it's it's really in, such an enlightening experience to to focus on those things and let your mind drift off in that direction.
1: Yeah, I love that, and I think that your your background in science. I mean, I'm sure that it's it's contributed to this whole experience and. and- so I, I I do kind of want to, uh, before we run out of time here, I, I do want to kind of touch on this idea of, you know, like your career as a science teacher and then this transition into retirement. And I'm just curious, like sort of for the listeners, like if you've experienced any sort of shift, like from a mindset standpoint, from from sort of those working years, into retirement, into this whole experience of the adventures that you went on and and maybe how your sort of mindset has has changed or transformed during that time. And, and you know, kind of in line with this whole idea of the hero's journey.
0: Yeah, the, in, in the working years, you're raising kids. You want you want success. You want results. You want you want good kids. Uh, So you're working hard at that, focusing on them. And you're working hard at your job. You want success there. You want to be secure financially. You want to be appreciated. Uh, You want to do a job well uh, to be successful. That makes you happy. But I actually, in retirement, things got a little bit more selfish, I think, in a way. Now I can focus on myself, a couple of people you know, family, close friends. Um, And you've gained a perspective on where your place is in that whole uh, dynamic. So, um, yeah, it's very different. Uh, I feel much more relaxed in retirement. Uh, Not just because there were so many pressures in the job, but just with my own, with myself, with my my own view of life uh, my own position uh, within the family my own value with uh with my wife and how how i value her are all things that i've been able to focus on a lot more in retirement one of the things i discovered scott uh when i was going through my journals and uh my son was enlightened enough to save some of my email stories that uh, i sent out to them when i was traveling and he put them together in a, a, a homemade book uh, that that I call um, "Sunset in the Rearview Mirror." Nice. And uh, going through them, I came upon one the other day in particular. This one I call the uh, "The Secret of Life." And I, I wonder if I could take a moment just to read a little passage
1: from it. Yes, please. So Love it. that
0: so we were we were uh accidentally camping in makashica state park in montana this is in the southeast corner of montana it's the badlands yep and we'd not been there before always pretty much uh, intentionally avoided it because it didn't seem like there was anything there so we we finally get into this place and it is empty we travel for three miles from the entrance to the camping area and see no one we get into the camping area and in 50 some odd sites that are in there there is no one we're wondering what's wrong with this place (laughs) so um we finally just you know pick a spot weather's beautiful it's it's hot but it's dry uh and uh we go to bed and the wind picks up and the wind picks up and the wind and our tent camper is flapping all over the place. So we have very interrupted sleep here. Then. We see these lights uh, flash across the hills behind us. And then they sweep our camper and go around again and again. And in our sleep stupor, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, what are we being invaded by aliens? <laughs> and the next morning we wake up and there next to us, right next to our camper, is a caravan. I said, great, These alien beings travel through <laughs> countless miles of uh, light years of space, and they're traveling in a caravan. Out pops uh, this little old man, uh and this uh little old woman dallas and leo turns out that they've been married for 63 years they've been high school sweethearts were married as teenagers and were retired since leo was in his mid-50s any of this sounding familiar yeah they came to visit cody wyoming for their 28th visit 28. they traveled in not their spaceship not a truck camper a tent or a mobile home but a caravan well in talking to dallas and leo we come to find out that uh, i have a lot of questions for them said i became utterly resigned to listen to listen to them and hope that somewhere my questions could be answered what is the secret to staying together for so long how did you cope with marriage and children as not much more than children yourself What have you done to keep retirement interesting? What have been your greatest hurdles? How can you travel and why? What the hell do you camp in a caravan for? (laughs) As their words poured out, it became white noise. There was a second telling of the story about the drug addict grandson who took advantage of them. There's the $3 racket, Kmart story and the list of fun things they do at Walmart. It eventually dawns on me that the details of the stories are not the answers, it's how the story is being told. Leo's self-effacing and defers constantly in his reliance to Dallas. Somehow you begin to sense that that, is, that it is she who needs Leo. Despite the frail body and gentleness, he keeps them from folding under the pressures of nine medicines a day and each family crisis, stretching money and their mental fitness. Dallas busies herself tending the daily needs, and Leo warns her to work less and limps around on his two bad hips as as he tries to help. There's no complaining, only two people trying to find their way to help each other. Dallas starts a story and gives Leo a cue to finish because it makes me too upset. Leo takes over for a line or two before Dallas, now recovered, gets to complete the tale. The transition is seamless. They both smile easily, laugh at the parts of the story that they have doubtless heard and laughed at a thousand times before. For two days, our adopted alien companions pour their conversations on us. My questions go unasked, but within the blanket coverage of their verbiage from these simple, wise, and ancient beings, the answers come. You can always make do with less if you do it with good cheer. Laugh a lot, especially at yourself. Take joy in the things that you like and damn the opinion that Kmart sucks. (laughs) Do what you have to do. Do your best and move on. Not everything is your fault or in your control. Be joyful. Take care of each other. I finished reading that last night again. (laughs) And... The three of us were covered in tears <laughs> it just had so much more meaning reading it now than when i wrote it i don't know what was it 20 years ago 15 yeah. years ago
1: i'm thinking that, me, that needs to be in a public. we are dallas book. And leo <laughs> yeah it's amazing and that, that needs to be in a book for other people to read that th- this is incredible i love that you just shared that and i hope that you'll share that with even more people Um, I would love to get my hands on those journals. (laughs) This is incredible. You know, I always, um, before I do my two fun questions, I usually finish with what advice do you have for people? You just shared it with Dallas and Leo's story. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. And, you know, Ed, this has been such an epic journey for you. And at some point, Hollywood's going to find out about (laughs) your story. And they're going to want to make a movie about you and these 12 years of, of adventures that you've taken. So I want to know, uh, before we wrap up here, who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in your movie?
0: Well, you know, I think maybe it could be Tom Hanks.
1: Tom Hanks, yeah. He
0: just somehow has that sensitivity and wonder about him. Um, could be Jimmy Stork, but I don't think he's around much anymore. So
1: <laughs> okay. There you go. I love it. And what's your movie going to be called?
0: second best decision
1: oh second best decision okay yeah.
0: this early retirement was the sixth second best decision i ever made and the first one occurred when I asked somebody to dance when I was 17 years old. I love that so much.
1: That was awesome. Ed, thank you so much for being here and sharing all this wisdom with us today. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Ed's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we wanna hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening. Ed, thank you so much for being here today.
0: Thanks for letting me relive my trip.